Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bonjour, bienvenue la série de sermons de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Please check it out. God bless you and take care. Good morning, church. Our scripture this morning is from 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 15 to 17. This is actually one of John's most famous passages. Ask anyone to quote 1 John, and there's a good chance that some version of this verse is and these passages comes out. Most of the time, though, we seem to quote this passage without even connecting it to John or his letter here. That makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense because this passage defines how we should live in this, our present world. And living in this, our present world, it's good to know what God, through his words, has to say to us. Amen? In 1 John 2, 15 and 17, it's familiar to me because it was one of those verses I memorized growing up. Looking back, I still think the most overlooked part of my personal spiritual development was my church offering to pay for a week of camp if I'd memorize 100 or so verses each spring. I really thought that going to camp for free was the big win. Yet all these years later, many of these scriptures still remain. Many of these verses still whisper God's voice in my ear move his spirit in my bones, and they help keep his son, his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, forever in our heart and in our eyes. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please turn back with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. We'll also have the verses up here on the wall in the front, so you can follow there as well. Here we read in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let us pray. Father God, let us love. Let your love live in us so that you are all we desire, so that you are all we need. Jesus our Christ. Let your love empower our spirit. Let your love open our eyes and open our lives. Holy Spirit, let your love guide us, bless us, and humble us in the sight of the Lord now and always. Amen. This morning we return to the book of 1 John. Last time we were here was back in October. October was such a long time ago. In fact, October was way back during the time of Kennedy, B.C., That is, Kennedy, our almost one-year-old, and B.C., before crawling. Now you put her down, and she's got places to go, rooms to conquer, and joy to bring. October was also Harper BPT. That is, Harper before potty training. Now, this isn't a full report. We're not all the way there yet, but we're making progress. 
Personally, her mother and I are just both rejoicing. She no longer feels the need to share bodily functions, we'll call it that, with her floor, her wall, her dressers, and her bed. Progress. Yes, progress. Praise God for progress. But back in October when covering 1 John, the reminder was that this epistle is credited as being a letter or a combined series of sermons from the Apostle John. John was a disciple of Jesus. He was an evangelist for Christ's gospel. He was a revealer of what is to come in the last days. In this epistle of 1 John, we are introduced to John as pastor, a shepherd who loves his sheep, and a father who wants all his children to know God, who is love. In this letter, Pastor John gives us a great many lessons to learn and to study. Lessons that remind us that, yes, Jesus is Lord and Lord forever. He is our God through whom all things were created, our God who holds all things together, and our God who reconciles all things through his blood. Jesus, our Christ, is also our God who came and lived, our God who loved, our God who dwelled in skin and walked among us. The King of all radiance and light came to shine for the glory of his Father into this very world of darkness. He came so that we could even become children of light. Amen? In 1 John, there are lessons about how true teachers and believers do not just proclaim Jesus with their lips. No. No, true believers prove Jesus by looking like Jesus in how we live, by looking like Jesus in how we love. There are lessons in here about conflict and struggle, lessons about expressing some of our more charismatic gifts, lessons about faith and conduct, and lessons about love, love. What does it mean to love? What does love look like? And again, who is love? First John is a book full of lessons, a book full of wonderful, applicable answers for our life and our walk with Christ today. Way back when, our first lesson in this wonderful epistle and a foundational truth to understanding this book was learning that John is not simply writing about Jesus the Messiah. No, no, John is writing about Jesus, his best friend. John writes as a witness of Jesus Christ because with his own eyes, he witnessed Jesus. With his own hands, he witnessed Jesus. With his own heart, he witnessed Jesus. John was a witness as Jesus spoke to maybe tens of thousands. John was a witness as maybe hundreds came to believe in Jesus and follow him while our Lord was down here. John is a witness as our Lord Jesus Christ even sent out 70 as one of Jesus' 12 disciples, followers who lived and walked with and were exclusively taught day in and day out by Jesus, John was a witness. And of those 12 disciples, John is a card-carrying member of the group of three that formed Jesus' earthly inner circle. Peter, James, and John were the three present at the transfiguration. They were also the three closest to Jesus in Gethsemane. Yet even among those three, John was the one that they all called the disciple that Jesus loved, Jesus' best friend. John was the witness and the best friend who became brother when he was chosen by Jesus. While he hung on Calvary's tree, Jesus chose John to be his mother Mary's adopted son. In so doing, Jesus chose John to be the one who would provide care for Mary as an aging widow in her last days. John, being Jesus' brother in the spirit and best friend on this earth, helps us to begin to understand and unwrap the real treasure of this epistle. See, in this letter, John's Jesus' best friend writes because he knows Jesus and is known by Jesus. He writes because Jesus is love, and love has invaded his world. 
John writes because Jesus came to earth and changed how he sees, changed how he hears, changes how he feels, changes how he understands. He writes because Jesus has changed his perspectives, Jesus has changed his focus, and Jesus has taught him what love is, all the while working daily to enlarge even his capacity to love. Jesus invaded John's world so that John could now again be who God had created and destined him to be. A lost child who could come home again. A lost child who can walk into the light and out of the darkness. A lost child who can be his father's son. The real blessing in this closeness of relationship between John and the Lord Jesus Christ, the real beauty of it all is that this is the same kind of closeness This is the same kind of intimacy. This is the same kind of love that God desires to have with you. Amen? Jesus wants you, all of you, all of the real you. Jesus desires an intimacy with you that's founded on honesty, vulnerability, trust, grace, and love. Love. This is what Jesus had with John and what he desires to have with you and you and you. So John writes as a witness of Christ because he witnessed Jesus. Day in and day out, he witnessed Jesus in ministry and in his everyday scenes. You know, after learning the significance of John's witness, we looked at one of the major themes in this epistle, light and darkness. In our second sermon in this series, we hear John just come out and say it clearly. This is the message we have heard and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. That was the entire premise of that next portion of the letter. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That may be one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Amen? In that passage, we learned that since God is light, in whom there is no darkness, we must always know and remember this simple truth, that light is not equal to darkness. Know that light is superior to darkness. Light is always superior to darkness. Amen? And because light is always superior to darkness, we must at every given point be known more for shining our light than for complaining about the darkness. We must be known more for walking in the light and having fellowship with one another. We must be known more by not submitting to the darkness that so easily ensnares us. We must be known not for being perfect because we are not. No, we must be known for living to please God more than living to please ourselves. Jesus reminds us that we, we, we are the light of the world. Our Lord has left us to be the light of the world. We are Christ's body and and the church. We're the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are the lamp that when we stand on the stand, we give life to the entire house. We give light to the entire house. We are to be the lights that shine so brightly before others and before our world that they will all see us. They will all see the light and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? Our next passage was 1 John 2, 3 to 11. And we learned this beautifully gracious truth that the darkness is passing because the true light is already shining. Yes, our world is not as it should be. The darkness is passing. The true light is already shining. Hey, I'm not sure about the church in North America. I'm not sure about my family. I'm not sure about my relationships. And if I'm honest, I'm not even sure about myself. Well, the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. Amen? Remember, that's not just a pep talk. It's the truth. It's the truth that we do well to know and remember. 
With each passing day, we draw closer to Christ's triumphant return. You hear that this morning? Every single day brings us closer to the day that Christ shall return. Amen? Every single day and every single breath affords us the blessing and the opportunity to shine our lights for his glory. Every word and every deed, every thought and every interaction, every hope and every dream, all that we are and all that we should be can be used to shine our lights for God's glory. Amen? And if we do so, we will learn, we will see, we will know, and we will remember that simple truth that the darkness is passing because the true light is already shining. Then last time, way back in October, or Kennedy, B.C., or or Harper, B.P.T., we pledged to know God and remember, to know God and be known by God, to not just know about God, but to know the heart of God and to be shaped by the heart of God. Know God and remember. Remember your sins are forgiven, all of them. Remember God, the one who's known you from the beginning. He's faithful. Remember God, the one who's been revealing himself to you. He's still here. Remember how the Spirit has helped you to overcome and will keep helping you to overcome the evil one. Amen? This brings us to our passage this morning. Here again in 1 John 2, 15 and 17, John writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. In these verses, John speaks clearly to the church back then and also to we, God's people, today. In this passage, John writes and implores God's people to love God and not this world. Love God, not this world. Love God and not this world. Amen? Amen. And that would be it. If there is one thing I want you all to leave with this morning, it's John's core teaching here for us. The heart of what he has to say for us, for all of God's people, is love God, not this world. Love God, not this world. Every single day, every action, every interaction, every word, every deed, every thought, every dream, love God not this world. Amen? John begins by instructing us not to love the world or anything in the world. For John and his audience, love is more than a feeling. I really wanted to sing that, but these sermons get recorded and legit sent all over the country and probably all over the world. And I actually want people to come to church. But yeah, for John and his audience, love is more than a feeling. Love is covenant. Love is allegiance. Love is thinking so highly of the one you love that you put them first always and in everything. For John and his audience, love is agape. Love is God. Love is actions. Or as those great and mighty theologians from D.C. Talk once put it, love is a verb. Love is unmerited favor. Love is free and not out of obligation. Love is faithfulness. Love is lasting loyalty. Love is kindness. Love is goodness. So the command not to love the world or anything in the world means not to be more emotionally tied to this earth than to heaven. It means not to defer to the wisdom of this age over God's truth. And it means not to pledge allegiance to earthly empires, especially at the expense of God's kingdom. Not to love the world or anything in it means worshiping the creator and not the creation. 
It means being thankful for the giver and not simply the gifts. And not to love the world or anything in it means to think so highly of Jesus that we live, that we work, that we walk, that we fight, that with every single breath we place and we keep Jesus first. That with every single breath that we live, that we work, that we walk, that we fight, that we live to keep placing and keeping Jesus first in everything. Amen? One of the things I love about 1 John is that you don't have to listen too intently to hear Jesus speaking directly through him. In fact, John only writes what our Lord Jesus himself has taught him. Why does John instruct followers of Christ not to love the world or anything in it? He does so because Jesus himself said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is your truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I, for them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Hear the words of Jesus our Christ this morning. Do not love the world or anything in it, because you do not belong to this world. Christ himself has chosen you out of this world. Do not love the world or anything in it, because this world hates you. This world has systems, this world has powers, this world has temptations, this world has darkness, this world has sin, this world has evil, that all have waged war, that all are waging war, and that all will continue to wage war against our God, but especially against you. But praise God, Jesus is our Lord, amen? Praise God, Jesus is our mediator, amen? Holy Spirit, thank you that Jesus is our prayer warrior. The one who sends us into the world, prays for our protection, redeems us by his truth, and sets us apart to partner with him and the Spirit to make on earth as it is in heaven possible. That is the miracle of following God. That the God of this universe chooses to partner with you to bring his kingdom. Amen? So do not love the world or anything in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. John reminds us that if our, primary, if our primary loyalty is to the earth and not to heaven, then the love of the Father is not in us. It is our, if our foundational allegiance is to our national states and empires and not to God's kingdom that is coming and already come, then the love of the Father is not in us. If the blood that flowed on Calvary's tree does not matter more than the blood that flows even in our veins, then the love of the Father is not in us. If sisters and brothers are only defined as the least of these and not as God's children or the body of Christ or further still members of one another, members of you, members of the body where only Christ is the head, then the love of God, the love of the Father is not in us. For if we are the body of Christ only in theory and not in practice, only in ideal and not in reality, then the love of the Father is not in us. If we are members of the church, or even a church like this one, this is a great church. You are a great church. But sisters and brothers, if we are simply members of the church or a church or this church and not members of one another, 
then the love of the Father is not in us. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. Moving along, John then defines the world and everything in it. (laughs) He identifies that we are not to love the things in the world. You know, I had a friend growing up whose mom wouldn't let him play organized sports because organized sports would pull his love for God away from God. And I think for a lot of us, we define the world as this great thing we can never defeat. But we must remember the words of Jesus our Christ. We are not to be silos. We are not to build bunkers. We are in the world, not of the world. But here's the other thing. If we're not willing to shine the light to the world, how can they see? If we're not willing to go out there and put ourselves out there, how will they know Jesus? If we're only caring about our silos and our bunkers and keeping ourselves safe or our children safe or our dreams safe, how will the world ever meet your Christ? How would the world ever know his love? John identifies the world not as we identify it by the things we don't do or the things we don't want to do. John identifies the world as simply this. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. You know, it's fundamental for us this morning to understand that when John instructs us not to love or surrender our allegiance and give our lasting loyalty to the world, he is being crystal clear. When John says the world, he means the lust of the flesh. He means the lust of the eyes. He means the pride of life. When John says do not love the world, that is all he's talking about. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Why? If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And what is in the world? Well, everything in the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And please know and remember that all this comes not from God our Father, but from the world. Do not love the world. Why? For in the world, the lust of the flesh is posited as irresistible. In this world, we are taught and it's constantly reinforced. How can it be so wrong if it feels so right? How can it be sin if nobody was hurt? How is it bad if it makes me feel so good? In this world, we are taught and it's constantly reinforced that we are the masters of our own fate, that we are the arbiters of all that is good, that we have the power individually and collectively to make our world better, that we are the salvation of the world. There is no mystery that we cannot solve. For you see, sisters and brothers, lust of the flesh establish all of us as all the God we ever need. What John wants his people to know is what they already knew and what we all should already know. Lust of the flesh does not guarantee you anything but self-assured destruction of yourself of those around you that you love. And then increasingly, it destroys all those around you. So while you may have a flesh, or we may have a flesh that rages within, submitting to it only leads to enslavement. Submitting to the flesh only leads to addiction. Submitting to the flesh only leads to this merry-go-round of emptiness, of hurt, of shallowness, and of unhappiness. But praise God, we can overcome even that, amen? We defeat lust of the flesh by heeding to the Holy Spirit within and feeding those things that gift us light. We defeat lust of the flesh by daily reminding ourselves that we can never be masters of our own fate. And that's all right. Because our Father who feeds the birds and dresses the flowers in greater glory than Solomon himself sees us as his masterpieces. Sees us and so loved us that he sent his son. 
sees us and so loved us that he promises to meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We defeat lust of the flesh by not counting on ourselves to define what is good, but by relying on God who is good. And lastly, we defeat lust of the flesh by letting God be God. Most of us try to be good human beings. Most of us anyway. But I'll tell you a secret. All of us would make terrible gods. So let God be God and be faithful. Let God be God, for he is good. Let God be God, for he is true. Amen? Amen. Love God and not this world. Amen? Amen? Do not love the world. Why? For in this world, the lust of the eyes is posited as normal. In this world, we are taught and is constantly reinforced that it is only normal to do better than your parents. And by better, we mean bigger. And by better, we mean more and more. And by better, we mean that you need to get it faster, too. In this world, we are taught and is constantly reinforced that we have, what we have is never as good as the more we need to get our hands on. We are taught that our value comes from what we do or what we can provide. We are taught to chase after what we covet and to know and remember that contentment might be a goal, but not something worth actually, you know, actively working and seeking to get or to have or to hold on to. What John wants his people to know is what they already know and what we should all already know. The lust of the eyes does not guarantee you anything but self-assured destruction of yourself, of those around you that you love. And then increasingly, it destroys all those around you. So while we may have eyes that tend to wander, it is imperative that we keep our eyes, that we keep our hearts, that we keep our hands, that we keep our wants completely focused on God, who is our shepherd and through whom we lack nothing. Amen? Praise God, we can overcome even that. For we defeat lust of the eyes by losing sight of what the world calls normal. We defeat lust of the eyes by looking at our parents, not for how we can do better than them materially. No, we look at our parents. We look at this raw material that is ourselves. Blessings and all our failings even. We take this raw material that is ourselves and we put it in the hands of God the potter. And we ask him to take us, to mold us, to make us in the spirit, to make us more and more like his son Jesus Christ. Amen? We defeat lust of the eyes by not being defined by what we have or what we don't have. We defeat lust of the eyes by knowing that our value comes from God and not necessarily in what we do or what we can provide. We defeat lust by choosing contentment over covetousness day after day after day after day. Contentment over covetousness day after day. Amen? And we defeat lust of the eyes by living simply, by living uncluttered lives which free us to love boldly, which free us to give generously, which free us to serve joyfully. We defeat lust of the eyes by living to store up treasures in heaven. For all the treasures of this earth, they can be destroyed, they can be taken, they can be stolen. We defeat lust of the eyes by always knowing and remembering that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Amen? Love God and not this world. Amen? Do not love the world. Why? For in this world, pride of life is ignored as the arrogant boastfulness that it is. 
In this world, we are taught and is constantly reinforced that I, that I matter the most. I matter the most tends to deny Jesus. It tends to deny Jesus his rightful place in our lives. I matter the most takes us back to the garden. We're like Eve and Adam. We continue to want to be, to act as if we are indeed God. I'm either the most lays waste to our relationships as it leads us to trying to tyrannize and manipulate one another. I'm either the most makes us want to have dominion over one another. I'm either the most says that we are the most wise, that we deserve power, that we deserve every privilege. I'm out of the most says that my own interests must be protected above all else, above anyone else. And I'm out of the most makes God in our own image. And that's the one we can't see. Because if God looks like me, and I like how I look, or I like being me, or I like listening to me, if God is in my own image, it's hard for me to see even my own idolatry. But what John wants his people to know is what they already knew and what we should all already know. Pride of life does not guarantee anything but self-assured destruction of yourself, of those around you that you love, and then increasingly it destroys all those around you. So while pride of life might get you ahead in this world, it pulls you farther and farther away from Jesus. We defeat pride of life by giving Jesus the rightful place in our heart and in our lives. That he is Lord. That he is Lord. That he is Lord. Amen? We defeat pride of life by making and keeping Jesus as Lord over all that we are. Jesus has to be Lord over all that we dream. Jesus has to be Lord over all that we live for. We defeat pride of life by living for others and not for ourselves. We defeat pride of life by sacrificing our powers and our privileges for the benefit of those without the same powers and without the same privileges. We defeat pride of life by submitting to the Holy Spirit in every word and deed, submitting to the Holy Spirit in every interaction and action, submitting to the Holy Spirit in every thought and every dream. And we defeat pride of life by asking God our Father to make us more and more like his Son, Jesus our Christ. This world has a lust for power and for wisdom as they defined it, and it looks nothing like our Christ. Sisters and brothers, we must never let ourselves become so depraved. We must never let ourselves become so dominated by our pride that we reject Jesus as revealed in Scripture and to the church. The world wants lust and power. Jesus washes feet. The world wants kings and presidents. Jesus came to die. The world wants to lift you up. Jesus says, I will lift you all up. The world wants you to get ahead. Jesus says, no, 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 no. We walk into the kingdom together. Amen? Love God and not this world. Sisters and brothers, do not love the world or anything in the world. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. What is in the world that we are not to love? What is in the world that we are not to give lasting loyalty to? What is in the world that we are not to be enslaved by? Everything. Everything? Yes, everything. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And please do know and remember, the world and its desires do pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. As followers of Jesus, we know that our citizenship is in heaven. 
though we currently serve as his ambassadors here on earth. As followers of Jesus, we know that our Father's kingdom is coming and has already come. As followers of Jesus, we join God's work empowered by the Spirit to make his kingdom come, to make his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what is God's will? Oh, look, we only have a few minutes. Seriously, though, that is a sermon series, if there ever was one. I will say this, though. God's will is sprinkled throughout Scripture. God's will is through his Holy Spirit. God's will is through you, the body, Christ's body, his church. We see God's will in his word, which endures forever. We see God's will in his promises, which are always fulfilled. We see God's will in the spirit, which illuminates scripture for us as we learn the character, the actions, and the love of God. And we see God's will as we, the church, Christ's body, lives as members of one another and live to share the love of God and share his good news to the world. You know, quite often we think about what is God's will. We default to what decision do I have to make? It's funny that most of the times when we're seeking God's will, it's really because we want his affirmation for the decision we're always already going to make. But one of the things about God's will, and probably the best thing I can ever tell you about God's will, is going to be in a book someday. So if you steal it, BIC don't sue, but this church will sue you because we need to fix up our building or something. (laughs) But the best thing I can tell you about God's will is it's never about what choice you have to make. God's will is always about your heart. Is your heart right with God? Are you growing with God? Are you listening to God? Are you in right relationship with God? Because it doesn't matter. You know, as Christians, we know this. It doesn't matter because God is sovereign, right? But we still put so much emphasis on the decisions that we have to make, and that is worldly. Our emphasis and our focus and our work should be on, are we growing with Christ? Are we living for Christ? Because if your heart is right with God, I got a secret It'll be in the book unless you steal it, I'm telling you. If your heart is right with God, it doesn't matter if you choose to go right or left. Amen? Our God is sovereign. Because if your heart is right with God and you go right and he wants you to go right, guess what? He'll bless it. Amen? But here's the thing that we forget. That our God is still sovereign. And if our heart's right with God and he wants us to go right and we go left, God is still sovereign. And because your heart is right with him, he will take you from the left path and put you on the right path. Because our God has the power to make even our crooked path straight. Our God has the power. So it's not about what decision you have to make. It's about, is your heart right with God? Are you choosing to live for God? Because if that's your focus, you go right, he'll bless it. You go left, he's still powerful enough to put you on that right path. And then here's the thing I love maybe the most about God right now, at least in this moment is that if we go right, he'll bless it. If we go left, he wants us to go right, he'll make our crooked path straight. But here's the thing about God that we must love and always remember. To prove it's not about our decisions, is that if your heart's right with God and everything that you have that you've done, if you give it over to him, if you give everything that you've been through, if you give it over to him, every decision that you make, if you give it over to him, every single thing in your life, if you give it over to him, one of the things I love the most about God is if you'll let him, He'll take that very thing, that very decision that you're going through. And it might be minutes, it might be years, it might be decades from now. But one of the guarantees I've seen in my short 33 years is that every single thing you've gone through, if you give it to God, he'll use you to help someone else who's going through that same thing. So the question has to be, not what is God's will so I can do what I want to do anyway. The question has to be, 
Am I living for God? Am I living for his glory? Am I living to make his kingdom come, his will be done? Because if we're living for God, he'll bless our decisions. And if we're living for God and we make the wrong decisions because we're human, that's okay. We make the wrong decisions. He's still powerful enough to correct us and make that crooked path straight. But sisters and brothers, always remember that if you give all that you are to Jesus, everything that you've been through to Jesus, and I'm not just talking about the good things. I'm talking about the blessings and the cursings. If you give everything you've been through to Jesus, I guarantee you, I've never guaranteed anything before in the pulpit, but I guarantee you if you give it to Jesus, he will take that very thing and use you to help someone else who's struggling through that very thing. Amen? I'd like to invite the worship team back up to lead us in our closing song. I'd also like to invite the team of intercessors up front. We're here to pray for you for anything that you need prayer on. The intercessors will be gathered up in the front. Sisters and brothers, my prayer for us all this morning is that our lives are defined by a love for God and not this world. That our lives are defined by a love for God's kingdom and God's people and not everything that's in this world. My prayer is that our pledge allegiance and our lasting loyalty is to Christ and Christ alone. Love God and not this world. The world and the flesh will rage on, so let God be God. Be faithful and he will be good and true. The world and our eyes will choose covetousness over contentment, but let God be your God. Live simply, love boldly, give generously, serve joyfully. Store up treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The world and the pride of life seek to devour you. So give Jesus the rightful place in your heart and in your lives. Let Jesus always be your Lord. Amen? Amen. Sisters and brothers, love God and not this world. Love God and not this world. Love God and not this world. Amen? Let's sing together. know exalt means to put in the highest place